Welcome to another inspiring podcast from C3 New Hope. For more information about our church and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au. We're in a series at the moment and we're in the second last series. And some of you guys are thinking, thank the Lord for that. Um, but no, we're, uh, we're in a place where next week we are going to finish up our series on following Jesus. It would have been 16 or 17 weeks where we have a time where we can walk through the book of John. And I, I've loved this opportunity to be able to look at who Jesus was and the, the joy of being able to, just to walk through his scriptures and not have to be able to, to rush or have any other agenda behind it, but just to literally walk through it. And today we're actually going to be covering sort of chapters 18 to 20, but really focusing in on chapter 20 here this morning. And they're often chapters that are synonymous with Easter story. And so often we'll read out the Easter story, but then we won't necessarily refer to these chapters all that much else during the year. But I actually want to spend some time because I actually think it's some really important insight, insights into who Jesus is, and particularly around this idea that Jesus was to be encountered. And I'm praying this morning this is a chance for us here today. And so if you've got your Bibles here today, why don't you turn to John chapter 20, and we're going to look at the resurrection. And it says, early on Sunday morning, it was still dark. I'm not too sure about you, but who's, who's looking forward to being able to see Daylight Savings return pretty soon? I don't know if there's a referendum going around, but if I could just like put my name to the Daylight Savings thing all year round, I don't know how it works, but I mean, I would love that. But here we are, we're about to actually read about someone called, um, someone called Mary Magdalene. And I love Mary Magdalene. I actually pray that we have many more Mary Magdalene's in our church. Um, she was someone that had a little bit of a past. Um, in, the, in, in Mark's gospel, we actually know about the fact that Jesus heals her of seven different demons. And uh, so she had, a, she had a story. She had some stuff going on in her life. And, and so she understands and knows the fact that Jesus can come and not only save, but set people free. And uh, I, I love that story. I'm not too sure, but there's a, there's a bit of Mary Magdalene in me in the sense of, I need Jesus. I, I need his saving. I need his freedom. And so Mary Magdalene is in a place where she, interestingly enough, is the very first person to come to the tomb. So again, it speaks of the fact of who she is and also who Jesus was to her. She had a, a desire to be with him and to go to the tomb in order to be able to anoint and be able to spend some time with him. So it says, while it was still dark, Mary Madeline came to the tomb and she found something interesting, that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And again, a super quick history lesson, again, not assuming too much here today, that Jesus, in the scriptures beforehand, particularly in 18 to 20, we see the fact that Jesus had obviously lived his life. He had gone about doing all his ministry and had, time, had come to a place and a time when God had called him to become the ultimate sacrifice, to be able to take on our sins and be able to give us a hope forever, an opportunity to have eternal life. And so he comes to this place where he sacrificially gives himself up. He's trialled by Pilate. He has, goes through excruciating pain for us. And he comes to a place where um, he goes to the cross. He, he dies the death of crucifixion and he's placed in this tomb. And so it's interesting here now the fact that and this tomb would have been actually sealed. It had guards um, guarding the front of the, of the tomb. And so when Mary comes and discovers the fact that the tomb has had the stone rolled away, things are not right. 
We've got to understand this. And she's already in a place of grief. She's already in a place of despair, knowing that her, her, her heavenly um, saviour had actually gone to the cross and paid the price that he did. And now to actually find this place, things are, things are in a big question for her. So she ran and found Simon Peter and the other disciple. <laughs> I, 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 love, I love the Bible. I love the fact that um, if you look for it, there's actually humour all the way through the Bible. And uh, I love, Peter, uh, love, love John. Now, just to understand, John is the writer of this text here, and he's referring himself now in the third person. And uh, it's a bit interesting that then he, once he does this, he actually goes and says... Um, whom Jesus loved. <laughs> and so he's a bit like that annoying older brother that, um, you know, is kind of like the, the, the pet favourite in, in the family and he's just like sort of referring himself this way. But he, he finds himself referring to himself as the one that Jesus loved. And she said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. You see, at this stage, at this time right now, she's actually assuming that there's someone who's actually come and stolen Jesus. That even though Jesus had actually been speaking about the fact that he would be resurrected, that he would die the death and he'd be resurrected, they're actually thinking that he be, had been stolen. It wasn't uncommon during this time for, for graves to be, um, to be robbed. You see, people of prominence, prominence, they were often buried or they were often placed in tombs with, with, with valuables. And so they're often... Um, times where, where, where people would come and actually go and steal from the graves, from the tombs in order to be able... And so these people right now, Mary, and um, she's about to talk to the disciples, and we're not too sure where he is. They think he's been stolen. So Peter and the other disciples started out for the tomb and they were both running. And I love this. <laughs> I love this fact that but the other disciple outran Peter. And I was like, not only am I, the, am I the one that's loved, but I'm also the Usain Bolt of the two. You know, I'm also the one that has a bit of a speed. And, um, and I love it how the Holy Spirit allows us to be put in. Like this has like real no reference to the power of this particular scripture, but the Holy Spirit allows this to be put in here that, yep, all right, John, you were a bit faster and you know, you had a bit going on there. And so, so both were running but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the term first. Just in case you didn't know, I got there first, he says. Then Simon Peter arrived and went inside. Oh, sorry, sorry, I got there first. He stooped in and he looked in and he saw the linen wrappings lying there. But interesting enough here, he says he does not go in. There was some sort of hesitation. There was something that prevented him from going fully in. Now, many would actually think that this is actually because he was Jewish. It was ceremonially unclean for him to come in. So he gets to the tomb, he stops, and there's a pause there. There's hesitation there. There's, there's something that prevents him from going fully in. And I actually think this is the picture of, of many within the church, within our communities. There's something that draws us to Jesus, but there can be points or, or things that prevent us from going fully in. Prevent us from going fully in. And whether it's with our faith or with our relationship with God, there can be something that actually prevents us from stepping all the way in. And this is Peter, this is, this is John right now. Then it says, then Simon Peter arrived and then he, it says, went straight inside. And my hope and my prayer is that we will be a church, we will be believers that indeed enter straight in, that we'll find ourselves going all the way in. And he noticed that the linen wrappings were lying there while the cloth that had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. So they're starting to get this picture that perhaps this linen was still laid out in the shape of the body. And they get this idea for the first time that perhaps his body wasn't actually indeed stolen. And then it says, 
finally, other translations say finally, then the disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in. And what does it say here? He saw and he believed. So as he's gone in, as he's, as he's broken through some of those thresholds, he's then gone in and he's believed. You know, as I was preparing for today and, and looking at the Scriptures, I, I dived into the resurrection accounts in Matthew, Mark and Luke also because I wanted to get a bit of a picture of what all the, all, all the different Gospels were talking about and, and whether we could pick up any other bits of information for you here today. And what was actually stood out to me for the very first time is that this day, Resurrection Sunday, which has so much importance when it comes to our faith, that we believe in not just the God that died for our sins, but the God that rose again, that He is living. That the accounts of the resurrection and the real estate given to this chapter here right now and the, and the time that has been spoken about at the actual day is actually really limited. In seven or eight verses there, we hear the resurrection story. You read in Matthew, Mark and Luke, the same thing happens where there's not much more information given regarding the actual event of the resurrection. But what was to follow, the main real estate of these chapters that was actually given, it speaks to something really powerful. Because what happens is when Jesus is resurrected, He then starts going around and appearing to people and they encounter Him. And I believe that this is actually what Jesus is wanting to tell us here this morning, is that He is a God, that He is Jesus that is to be encountered, that He's not just something that we read about in the Bible, He's not just something we touch on at, at Easter time, that He is the King of Kings, that He is the Lord of Lords, He is the Son of God here this morning. He's worthy to praise here today. He's our Redeemer. He's the one that we can place our hope in here today. And He is to be encountered. Not just in theory, but our hearts to be stirred up because this is what happens when Jesus is resurrected. The very first thing, and this speaks about His heartbeat for people, even though He's spent the last 33 years with people, especially the last three years, ministering to people, going around from town to town, sharing the Gospel, the good news. What happens is that He goes, He dies the death, and then within moments I've been resurrected, He comes back and He wants to be with people. There's an intimacy, there's a drawing, there's a pursuit that Jesus has for people. And this is the truth that I want us to be able to share today. And, uh, and I want to share about three different people that Jesus comes to encounter. Because I believe there's people in this room that can, can be able to find themselves understanding their stories. And they too can be able to enter into a place where they encounter the King of Kings here today. But I had a bit of fun. I had a bit of fun when I was thinking about this. And I was, um, I was thinking about... If I was Jesus, just for a second, and maybe you can think about the same thought too, okay? That if you were Jesus and you've just been resurrected, who would you go and see first? I mean, you've got this opportunity right now. You, you're, you're Jesus, you've been resurrected. You can go and see anyone that you possibly want to go and see. Who would you go and see? Now, when I just think to myself, you get into the head of Dan Warren just for a second and, and maybe you might need to pray for me at the end of this and think, oh my gosh, Pastor, you need some help here. But if I was Jesus and if I was being resurrected and if I had the chance to go and see anyone for the first time, who would I go and see? I'd probably go and see my mum first. Because the last time my mum saw me, was she at the foot of the cross and she's crying and she's upset, okay? So I'm probably going to go see my mum, all right? And my mum, if you listen to this one day, then I love you and all that kind of stuff. So um, I'm probably going to see my mum. 
But after that, it gets a bit evil. I've got to be honest with you right now. Because after that, the Dan Warren comes out and I'd want to go and speak to the brothers who convicted me. Is anyone like, is anyone like, like, like me out here? Okay, a little bit. Like, there's a little bit of revenge that you want to come through a little bit. I'd be like, I'm going to pilot. I'd wait for his having dinner and maybe he's like, with, like, actually, I would be with his wife because in Matthew's account, his wife actually slips him a note and says, hey, you should not convict this guy. And so I'd come to Pilate and say, you should listen to your wife more, brother. You should be out, and, and all the mums and all the wives, mm-hmm, yeah, you should, yeah, you should. And Pilate's wife would give him the looks and she'd be able to speak to him and say, yeah, I told you so. And I'd allow Pilate's wife to be able to go and give it to Pilate, for starters. So I'd go to him, right? But he wasn't the only person that convicted Jesus. The Jewish leaders of the time, wasn't just the Roman leaders, the Jewish leaders of the time, they had played their part as well. And so I'd want to go to a time when perhaps all the, the Jewish leaders were getting together and there's the Pharisees and the Sadducees and a couple of others. And, and I, the, the, the main difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees was the Sadducees, they did not believe in bodily resurrection. In fact, there's a scripture in Mark 12. You want to put that up, up there for us just quickly. Um, we start to see the fact that then the Sadducees, who, they, who say there was no resurrection. They had a massive problem when people like Jairus' daughter was raised back from the dead. They had a huge problem when Lazarus was coming out and he was raised from the dead. They had a massive problem when Jesus came and said, I am the resurrection. And so I'd want to go, perhaps when they're having that little bit of a barbecue, when they're having a chance together, and I'd creep up behind the Sadducees. And I just go, what's up? <laughs> and I love to see their faces just drop. And that's Dan Warren. Okay? That's, 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 that's if I was Jesus for this time, right? I'm not too sure who you'd go and see, but Jesus had opportunity to go and see anybody. And it's interesting to me in John's account and the other accounts in the gospel of who he actually turns up to see. I think it speaks quite profoundly and powerfully of who Jesus was. And thank God, I'm not Jesus. And you can all say amen to that. Let's look at the first person. The first person he goes and sees is actually the lady who came and saw him right at the start. It says, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene in my Bible. It says, Mary was standing outside the tomb crying. I want to speak to everyone here that might be feeling brokenhearted here this morning. Isn't it interesting that, again, out of everyone that he could have gone and seen, he could have gone to his mum, he could have gone to the disciples, he could have gone to those who had become really important to be able to build the church. He goes to a woman with a checkered past and she's crying. You know, as people walk through our doors, our world has conditioned us in a way where we become really good at being able to put a smile on. <laughs> and whether you're feeling broken heart or not today, we've all had moments where there's been a sense of, of loss. And it might be pain, it might be hurt, there might be confusion, it could be anger. And what this woman at the moment here, she's feeling is she's, she's visibly, in, she has a moment where she's crying. And I love it how Jesus the very first person he goes to encounter is actually this woman, Mary. 
And it says as she wept, and I'm kind of picturing kind of, you know that when you ugly cry, you're trying to speak at the same time and you kind of cry at the same time. As she wept, she stooped and she looked in. So the brothers, they've already gone in, they've seen things and they've gone. And now she's kind of like left with the pieces like, well, I'm not too sure what to do. Maybe they told her to stay. We're not too sure. But what we know is that she stayed in this place where she wanted to be able to try and figure things out a little bit. And interestingly, as she looked in, she saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. And I love how these guys, they were also, these angels, they were also drawn to her, her brokenheartedness. I said, dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. And she says, because they have taken my Lord away. Again, she's still thinking about the fact that they might have been actually, uh, his body might have been stolen. And I don't know where they have put him. And she turned to leave and, someone, and, and saw someone standing there. And this is the first time we see actually that Jesus is encountered. And it was Jesus. But watch this. But she did not recognise him. Isn't it interesting that a woman who would have had her life transformed by Jesus in her grief, maybe her anger, maybe her misunderstanding, her confusion, she couldn't see the very one that she went to go and find. And this is powerful for us because at times in our own grief, in our own kind of moment, our broken heartedness, we can actually have a bit of a, a confusion or a bit of a, a cloudiness of not being able to see the one that we're actually going to seek after. And my hope and my prayer today is that we'll find a way to be able to seek God and be able to see God. In fact, it says here that um, Jesus says, Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. And a really important question here, who are you looking for? We'll touch on that in a little bit. And she thought, <laughs> Jesus would have been called a lot of things in his day, but here she's actually think, she thinks he was the gardener. <laughs> and uh, she says, sir, she said, if you've taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. And then she says, then Jesus comes and calls her by name. In other translations, it says she calls, he calls her by name. And I want to encourage every single person here today, Jesus calls you by name. He calls you by name. And as he calls her by name, something drops in her spirit. She has a moment of clarity. And when he says, Mary, Jesus said, and she's, she immediately turned to him and cried out, Rabbi. She has this reminder of who he is. And I love this story. The fact that again, Jesus could have gone anywhere, but he goes to this woman. And I love the fact that I can then have chances where I can speak with people. And in my job, I have many different stories and very many different moments where I get to be able to point people to Jesus because he's someone to be encountered. And I love in uh, Psalms 34, we see the heart of God. And we see the heart of God in the fact that it says, in verse 18, it says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. And maybe here this morning, you can feel a little bit like this woman, Mary, in the Bible. And you're in a place where it says, Dan, if I was to be honest right now, just between you and me, I could put my hand up and say, yep, that's me. 
I want to tell you this morning, He is to be encountered here today. He's calling you by name. And what it reminds us here today is the fact that of this question, who are you looking for? I can tell you, if you look for Him this morning, you will find Him. And maybe here today you're in a place where you're, you're not even necessarily with the Lord. You don't know Him as your Lord and Saviour. I can tell you today that if you reach out to Him, you will find Him and you'll be able to receive Him as your Lord and Saviour here today. So Jesus, He comes and He goes and speaks and He reaches out to Mary. Let's look at the second person. The second person He looks at and, and appears to is a man named Thomas. Now, I feel a bit sorry for Thomas. Thomas is a, Thomas is a guy that everyone kind of knows by him as doubting Thomas. Now, the brother had a moment where he doubted once and he's kind of like being given this name forever. Like Susan, she was lazy once and then suddenly lazy Susan happens all the time right now, right? Poor old lazy Susan. But we find ourselves in a place where Thomas is in a place where he finds it hard to believe. Has anyone ever had times in their life where there's been hard to believe things? Again, I, I can put myself in the shoes and understand that it's, it's, it can be hard to believe at times. Let's read um, Thomas's account. So if we look at it in uh, verse 24 here, we see Jesus again appears to Thomas. And it says, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, who's nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. We'll back up a little bit just a second. Jesus had just come and visited with the other, the rest of the 12 disciples, rest, rest of the rest of the disciples. But the thing is that, Thomas was not with them. The Bible says that Jesus appeared to them. And in verse, verse 20, it says, they were all filled with joy because they had seen the Lord. And so they had, the rest of the disciples, they had this moment with Jesus and they are filled with joy because they have seen the Lord. He's been resurrected. But Thomas was not there. And then they told him, and I kind of like, feel sorry for Thomas again too because they kind of rub it in a little bit. So they say, we have seen the Lord as if to suggest like sucked in, you went there, we saw him, you didn't see him and ha, 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 ha. And, uh, and so what we have here is a moment where, again, the doubting Thomas, some would call him maybe a sceptical Thomas, I've actually discovered that most people who doubt, they just haven't seen what you see. And our job is to be able to help people to be able to see what we see encounter what we encounter. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and my, I put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. But he has this moment, I won't believe. Again, I'm not too sure about you, but I've had a few moments in my life where I've had that sort of time where I won't believe or I don't want to believe or I can't believe. When I was 19, speaking of missions trips, um, I had a chance to go to Kenya and some of you guys know this story where I spent um, almost 10 months in Kenya and one of the places I went to was an orphanage. Um, it's a place called the Ngong Hills and uh, a lady, Mama Zipporah, she was a, the leader of the orphanage back then and um, I was this big white, they used to call me Mzungu, white guy, um, and I'd, I'd come and um, they used to, all the kids in this orphanage used to come and pat my arm hair uh, because I had long white arm hair and they had no hairs. I thought this was like an amusement ride at the time. And so I'd come and, but then um, one of the main groups of people they would reach out to was actually um, kids who had lost their parents because of HIV and AIDS. And uh, so often I'd have kids come along and they would have themselves in places where um, they would have be HIV positive. And so Mama Zipporah, she'd be in a place where she said, well, that's not acceptable. We're gonna pray that these kids get healed. And on my very first time I came into this place, kind of, again, kind of like a 
I was a little bit like a, a deer in the headlights kind of moment where I, I, I sat down and Mama Sipora said, Dan, I was here, done, done, you pray now. And I was like, okay, all right. Um, and so, but I was in this moment where I grew up in Blacktown and barely knew anything wrong with people. And suddenly I'm thrown into this place where I'm having to be able to pray and believe. And my own faith at the time was not that robust. And I was saying these words in my head, I was thinking, there's no way this is actually going to work. I was a bit like this in such situation right now. You're saying something, but I can't believe it until I can actually see it. Now, myself prayed, there's about four or five others that prayed. And this little girl's name, she must have been like one and a half at the time. Her name was Wanjiku. And Wanjiku, um, I was there because of the number of months. After getting prayed for, they would go out and they'd be um, then retested and have a, have a moment. She came out and um, it came back and that she was still HIV positive. And so Mama Zipporah said, done, we pray again. We came and prayed again. We prayed. This time I had a bit more robustness in my faith. I got to know her a little bit. I got to know the orphanage a little bit. We prayed and again, four or five others, we prayed, we laid hands, we asked for God to do whatever He could do. We sent her away. She goes and gets tested. She comes back. She's clean. I had this moment though initially where I cannot believe it. I, I can't stretch my faith there. And this is what Thomas is having a moment here is like, I can't believe that Jesus has been resurrected. It's hard for me to be able to understand this thought. Even though you've said these things, I can't believe until I actually go and see it. It's what Jesus does. And again, I love this. He comes back again. I love it how even though Thomas, we don't know why he missed the first encounter with the rest of the disciples. But what we do know is that Jesus came again. And God is the God of second chances. And someone said to me the other day, Dan, I don't deserve the second chance. I said, well, you want to know something else? He didn't deserve the first chance either. But God is coming and He pursues us. And I love it how Jesus, He pursues after Thomas. He could, again, he could have gone to anybody, but He comes to a man that's in a bit of a pain in the sense where He was, um, he was, he was questioning um, whether He'd actually fully been resurrected. And then it says eight days later, so this is a number of days later now, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. And the doors were locked, but suddenly as before, Jesus was standing among them. Sometimes we can read scripture and think we miss things. But again, every door was locked and suddenly Jesus was there. In my head, I'm picturing him walking through the wall. <laughs> but I'm not just what you're thinking, but I'm just picturing this. This is pretty cool. And it probably explains why then Jesus has these words, peace be with you. Because <laughs> like, Holy moly, how did you get in here? What's going on? And then he said to Thomas, Jesus could have said anything in this moment. He could have said, Thomas, you've been with me for three years. You've heard my words. You've been better. Watch me heal people. You talked, you heard me talk about the resurrection many, many different times. He could have actually given it to Thomas in that point. But then he has a bit of a grace and he says, Hey Thomas, put your finger here. And look at my hands and put your hands in the wounds with my side. He gives him an opportunity for Thomas to be able to believe. And so often we can be in a place where we give the doubters a bit of a hard time, give the skeptics a bit of a hard time. But I love the heart of Jesus, how he actually pursues them. And maybe this morning you're in a place where it's been hard to believe things. 
Jesus is making an opportunity where he comes and he can be encountered here today. But what he does, he not only gives an opportunity, he then requires something of him. There's a responsibility that Thomas then has to have. And he calls us to have the same thing as well. He says, now don't be faithless. He says, I want you to believe now. There's a responsibility. And then what, I, then what happens is there's a moment that Thomas has where he has what I would call his salvation, his true salvation moment. He then declares him and says, you are my Lord, you are my God. And he has a time where in the doubt, God is revealed to him and he encounters Jesus. And we all need that here this morning. So he meets up with someone who's brokenhearted. He meets up with someone who is in a place where they are, are doubt, doubtful. The third person I want to refer to this morning on Resurrection Sunday, and I actually see that he actually meets with someone who's distanced from God. He meets with a failure. And as a man, as a husband, as a father, as an employer, as someone who has responsibilities, I actually found myself when I was looking at this, I was, it felt like God speaking to me most deeply about this. Because I have had moments in my life where I felt a bit like a failure. And I know that if I remove myself from the situation, that that's not true. But failure has a language. Failure has a weight. Failure has a way of being able to speak to us. And I particularly see this being important for men here this morning, that God is wanting to be able to encounter those who believe that might be feeling like their failures. See, this man who, who was actually really close to Jesus, he had a moment where he felt like a failure. His name was Peter. On the Thursday, I love Peter. Peter, again, Peter's the guy that walks straight into the tomb. <clears throat> he's the guy that has, was a bit impulsive. And um, he's the guy on Thursday night, before Jesus goes to be at the cross, he's the one that says, Jesus, I will never, ever deny you. My, I'm your brother. You can rely on me. There's no way I'll ever do anything like that. No way. He goes and tells the rest of the brothers as well and declares in front of them all and says, hey, I'm good for this guy. I'm good for this Jesus. But what happens moments later is that he finds himself denying Jesus three times. And what happens, I can only imagine that as, as, the, as the rooster crows, there would have been this immense pain and immense sense of failure. You put yourself in that situation too. In fact, in Mark's Gospel, in Mark chapter 16, when Mary goes and says, hey, look, we need to go, so an angel actually says, go and get the rest of the disciples. The scripture actually comes up and says, Mark 16, says, go and tell his disciples and Peter. Now, Peter was one of the disciples, but I actually think it speaks to the fact that he had actually almost removed himself, whether it was him or others, from this moment. And I think it speaks of the failure that he felt like he actually had gone through. And Peter is in a place where he's distanced himself from God. But what God, so what Jesus does, he comes and he encounters him. And we read about in chapter 21 of how Jesus comes and encounters him. That even though he felt like a failure, even though he felt as though he couldn't, he wants to be being disqualified, Jesus comes and he has these words, Peter, I want you to go and feed my lambs. I want you to go and feed my sheep. I'm going to build my church on you. Just because you've had a moment of failure, you're not disqualified. And he has an encounter with the most living high. He encounters Jesus in that moment. 
And it's a beautiful picture of how Jesus pursues him. And then as we know, as we read throughout the, the rest of the New Testament, how Peter actually goes on to do magnificent things in the church. My hope, my prayer today is that for every single person here, maybe as I've shared these sort of thoughts, I'm going to come up now. Maybe you've had moments where you've been experiencing um, being quite despondent or in despair, being brokenhearted. Maybe you've been in a place where you felt as though I've, I've had some doubt. It's hard for me to be able to believe. Maybe here this morning you've been in a place where you felt like a failure at times. You almost disqualified yourself. Maybe you feel like I haven't been a good husband or a good dad or I haven't been a good believer, I haven't been able to follow God. It was the area of sin in my life I want to be able to try to get rid of and I just can't. You feel like the sense of failure going on. I believe that God wants to come and counsel you here this morning. You can encounter Him. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information about C3 New Hope and its locations, please visit our website at c3newhope.com.au.